This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by Fox and Stallion. Fox and Stallion is a Victorian mystery comedy fiction podcast about the best detective team on Baker Street. No, not that one. Season 2 will be airing in 2024 and is currently crowdfunding through May 1st. They have stickers, personalized in-universe thank you letters with wax seal, calligraphy, and all of it, and even a tier where they solve a mystery that you send them. Uh, They do want me to note Fox and Stallion cannot guarantee the solving of any mysteries, but they will try their absolute hardest for three to five audio minutes. This show also has everything you could want. Jewel heists, asexual detectives, lavender marriages, and a really old cat. You can find and listen to Fox and Stallion anywhere you listen to podcasts or on their website, 224bbaker.com. That's 224bbaker.com. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack 5. It's now available on Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch, Steam, and more. Play games like You Don't Know Jack Full Stream, Split the Room, Madverse City, Patently Stupid, and Zeeple Dome with friends this weekend. Visit jackboxgames.com for more info. Uh, so now... Now that y'all have heard the collective wailing of the fan base, uh, this listener would very much like to know how the crew reacted to the mid-season finale. So I just, for because I think other listeners like me will need this slow reminder, um, let's remind everybody what happened in the mid-season finale. So am I correct that this is the episode where they storm Caligari's lab and everything gets blown up? Yeah, it's the, it's the duel with Chamberlain. Okay, so I'm going to start this because I had a lot of reactions. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of feelings about this episode. So if it hasn't been established before, I joined the team here uh, about two years ago now, a year and a half ago. Um, and at that time, uh, there was a conversation about whether or not uh, the team should tell me what happens in the show or not. And I opted for not. I was like, I don't want to know, no spoilers, which was very challenging in some particular staff meetings, but it meant that it meant that as each episode came out, I was coming at it fresh and I had no idea what was going on. Um, and also that Jim kept threatening to kill my favorite characters if I wouldn't do things that he wanted me to. <laughs> he's, he's great, guys. Uh, so, okay, so that episode, um, let's see. First of all, I was really, really mad that uh, Elizabeth got so injured. I was really, really mad that it wasn't 100% clear that Chamberlain was dead because I really wanted Chamberlain to be dead. Eleanor definitely had a, like, weekly check-in with me about whether Elizabeth was going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah, that really happened. I kept being like, "She's she's not dead, right? Like... She's not dead, right, she's, Jeffrey? 
sort of dead. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, no, no. I, you know, let me say this. I, so, okay, so this goes a little bit ahead again, and I'm sorry to derail, but this is important. It has always been in my head that, um, because the, the, the question of the, that Clayton and Jim used to duel just ferociously over was whether uh, our first series was ultimately a tragedy or a comedy. And, you know, a tragedy ends with a funeral and a comedy ends with a wedding. Uh, and we the last episode is a funeral. But I, you know, in my head, um, West and Elizabeth travel off and do kind of a combined wedding and honeymoon. Um, and uh, West ended up taking Elizabeth's last name, making him in the end Dr. Snidge. <laughs> Which I always thought was like a, a kind of like end transformation for West. That's pretty delightful. I, I just wanted to point out that technically... The last episode is two funerals. Yeah, yeah I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, sorry, I, I, I totally derailed you. That's I really right. apologize. Maybe I'll cut that and put it somewhere else. <laughs> I had so many feelings about that episode. I just, I just remember getting, so Jeffrey and I both have day jobs, but um, we spend a lot of time on Gchat talking to each other just about like heart life things and also not. But I just remember getting on chat after listening to that episode and being like, I have so many feelings. I have to talk to you about them right now. I hope you're not in a meeting because I really need to talk about this. Um, but mostly I felt like by at the end of that, that mid-season episode, I was like, I can't, I think they're all dead. I think all the characters, I, I mean, I, I hope not, but I kind of think all the characters might be dead. And I was really worried about that. Yeah. Um, except Chamberlain, I wanted Chamberlain to be dead. And as we established in earlier conversations, that did not work out the way I wanted it to. Okay, so those are my reactions. Anybody else have anything? I think in Our First City, um, there's been this sort of like balancing act with comedic violence and hard-hitting, realistic violence. Like, I wrote a scene, wrote an episode where Snidge gets beaten with a rebar piece. So let me, that was actually physically difficult for, for me to do when, when, when I was in the process of doing that scene, I had to step away from it like three or four times because of how visceral it was, how, how, because that was the, that was the direction in the script. If I remember correctly, it's like, this is not supposed to be funny. This is not a campy moment. It's not a boink. Um, yeah, and later Snitch gets, you know, reanimated with a car battery. So it's a balancing act. Um, and uh, I heard that episode and I was like, it's fight scenes, but it's Jim. Jim loves comedy. He's going to really nerf it and it'll be okay to listen to it. I listened to it and it, it is horrific. It's really hard. It's, yeah. It, it's powerful and um i was like this is really hard to listen to but it's also sort of chamberlain's swan song and chamberlain is death you know he never he never brings anyone back to life so it's sort of appropriate that he he lives by the sword he dies in a flurry of violence um but uh other than being a disturbed listener um i was very worried playing dr morrow 
Um, I was much more comfortable doing the moral voice when he was speaking through a, a, a voice box. And I was like, I want him to sound like Michael Caine when he gets out, because I want to do a Michael Caine. And it turned out like, oh, I'm bad at that. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, if Moro's just in the background, you know, I'll, I'll occasionally just say a few lines. And then it was like, here's, the, here's a death scene. And this is like very important. And I was really anxious to act in that scene because I was doing a dialect that I'm not super comfortable with and I wanted to make it sincere so that the audience isn't like, wow, what a scene, except for that jerk who's like, hello, I got killed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm dead now. (laughs) Oh, no. What's the use of doing all those push-ups if you can? Um, so I had many feelings, both in the performance and in the listening. Um, but ultimately, I'm glad that the episode uh, is the way it is. It, re- it really earns a lot of the emotional stuff that comes later in the season, I feel like, in this way that's really satisfying. Yeah. So you've forgiven it? <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I mean, that's why I like the show. It's because I, it makes me feel all those feelings. In my defense, <laughs> the original plan for the entire season was always going to kill Moro. Hmm. Moro was always going to die. The, the episode 19 was always going to be uh, Moro's funeral. He was going to be slowly dying of the thawing process. He was just going to be progressively getting sicker and sicker. The problem that I faced was that I needed Chamberlain to be a villain. I needed him to be, I needed the plot armor gone. And I needed him to be a threat. And every, and really, Chamberlain has never been able to do anything of lasting influence because of plot armor. So he shot Elizabeth in the first season, but she came back. He shot Andrew, but she came back. And every time he's gone up against Caligari, she, like, easily brushes him aside. Like, there's the scene in um, season four where she just drops him on Davenport's table unconscious. And, And so in order to make him a believable threat, he had to be a believable threat. So I needed, I really, I, I pushed, I needed someone to die. And we were already killing Moro, and he—I think he was in like maybe one scene after mine, and that was it. So I kind of pitched this to the the table, and by pitch this, I mean I wrote the whole scene without telling anyone, <laughs> presented it, and said, "Can I do this?" And uh, which is tends Ask to be my writing style. Permission. <laughs> um, and Jim, Jim's good at the shadow pitch. Um, but so th- that, that is how that, that came about was because I needed him to be a threat for his, his final outing. Um, I will also say while recording it, my favorite moment for recording that episode was asking Jeffrey to do multiple getting stabbed through the chest takes. <laughs> And like doing gushing blood sounds from my mouth and then turning around and Jeffrey just being like, ugh. <laughs> okay, no, go ahead, do some more. <laughs> it, was, it was really hard to listen to like a minute or two of that just straight in headphones. 
So what, what I loved about that episode in particular was um, you, I mean, we always knew Caligari was, was uh, a protagonist and, 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 and a hero of sorts, but when Chamberlain was going through and doing his merciless murdering of innocence, and she, over, she, she walks over, she rips open a control panel, she does some science real quick, and boom, she's hacked into the comm systems and confronts him. And that, that hero moment right there to stop the carnage was like, it was so, so Caligari and so on point. And, and it, it was, I remember listen, doing it and listening to it and just, I got chills multiple times every single time that she, she would do that, I would get chills. And I, I, I love that moment because I love Caligari. So. I mean, I, I know because I've talked to Jim about it a lot, how much you love both of those characters, both Chamberlain and Caligari. And that was the other thing about that episode that is so juicy and satisfying is that it is like both of those characters getting to do the things that they are the best at and they're doing them at each other. And it's, yeah, it's great. Also, Jim made, made me design a sound of uh, shooting a hologram, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Good times. What would you consider the iconography? Guys, it's getting late. That word is hard for me. Iconography. Iconography. What would you consider the iconography of the show? Important symbols, phrases... I mean, besides for science. So like the iconography within the world of heart life or outside the world and in I our think, world? I think inside the world. I feel like um, the earlier work like really did a great job introducing like the, the propaganda kind of feel for what the policies we're seeing on a day-to-day basis, like the nutriment ads and... Uh, just that the tower loves you or the board of directors loves you, all of that kind of uh, buzz speak coming at you perpetually, I think is really effective. Yeah, I, I think actually both kind of inside the world and outside of the world, which I think is, is, is kind of another interesting question. Um, the, the, like, there is a really, there's actually a couple of mole-based pieces of art. I think about Ellie is wearing... Um, uh, the Mole People Revolution shirt designed by Tyne Lowe. Um, and uh, there was also a uh, Don't Feed the Moles print that was just, just great. Um, I, don't, I don't have the artist uh, of that right offhand. But um, yeah, a lot of great kind of like revolutionary art and propaganda art that got subverted. Oh, and the the image of Neil's shovel for the Hendersonian yeah. movement. Yeah, the, the shovel definitely stands out in in my mind as one of the more like simple iconic images. That in the tower, which we've talked about already, just the 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 beautiful symbol and simplicity of what a tower can be. Even if we changed it from time to time, you know how many you know tiers it had or how tall it looked. That that image transcends both the the tower both inside the show and outside the show as as being just such a simple and um iconic image for what the company represents uh with with shovels i really have to mention that um at the first at the launch of the series 
um, Ryan Sheely presented Clayton and myself with golden shovels with small plaques on them um, celebrating breaking ground on our fair city. Um, and those are both hanging um, on the walls of our respective offices. And I look at it every day when I'm getting ready to work and getting ready to edit and like getting down to work on shows. And, uh, I need, and it I need inspires this, me. I need this mental picture. Is it like a trowel or is it like a No, like a it's like it's it's like a three quarters size. It's like a it's a garden shovel, but roughly the size of like a trenching tool. So, oh, like, so like a spade. Yeah, okay. it's like okay. three feet tall. And building off the tower, like it reminds me all over again how what a great campaign the Hope of Heart Life is. The tower above and the tower below. That's and good. how well set up it was to fail. <laughs> and also like immediately be like uh, lambasted by the people that it had failed. Like the changing the hope of heart life to the nope of heart life is something mm. that I remember hurt me very, very deeply. It's like, no, we had such great ideas. I mean, I think one of the, at least for me, the the joys of the, the sort of building the world comes like, I, I took a lot of improv classes and one of the things they teach you about world building is like taking things from earlier and then just keep reusing them. So like if in a scene someone's eating Fruit Loops Anytime someone needs, it's like, hey, do you want to eat something? Yeah, I've got Fruit Loops. So then, like, next time someone's at a restaurant and it's like, yes, uh, I'll have the Fruit Loops or the Fruit Loops or whatever. Uh, and so, like, anytime someone eats, it's Fruit Loops. And I think one of the, the fun parts was finding those bits that you could just latch onto and then keep reusing and re reappropriating or finding those things like um, the fact that everything. Uh, Herbert West puts together he he voices himself so like the secure the security panels are Herbert West voice and the the uh, digital reconstructor is Herbert West voice his egg timer listen that's certainly not because sometimes we would find that we needed uh, a, a new sound effect or a voice for a door and Ryan was there with a really good mic <laughs> <laughs> But but also like uh, I'm trying to think of the, the fact that all of the all the security panels the code is always five eight zero zero eight or Neil Henderson's always like can't can everybody do yeah. that like finding those bits oh, yeah. to make can't do that? to to help build the world and and getting to play with the writers in that way. I think one of the ones that sneaks up on you over the course of this, uh, the show is the uh, concept of, of family. I mean, it's very obvious in, in Elizabeth and Herbert and Snidge and, and Caligari, but then you have Sandy and Clay who build their own family. And then in the end, you have uh, you know the, the island of misfits with, with Simon and Dora <laughs> and Switchblades. They sort of become their own family. And uh, really the only one who's sort of left completely on his own because then we also have Archie and, 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 and Grayson who go out on their on their own and everybody has somebody except foster who is the the, the uh, he and chamberlain yeah. they're they're the two without families they have each other in the end <laughs> <laughs> well i mean Ch chamberlain has foster <laughs> okay so what kinds of music do you think any of the characters listen to 
I feel like music is pretty much only of two kinds in heart life. It's either it's produced by the company, and that's kind of that's what you hear in the show, that's what you hear sometimes in an elevator, or it's something that the people are creating themselves. That's kind of it's folk music essentially. So maybe to open it up, if if these characters had access to Spotify right now, what what music would they listen to? I mean, we've established that Britney Spears survived into our fair city and and became sort of what pseudo religious music, right? What? Didn't didn't we establish that at one point? Weren't they listening to a Britney Spears song in in like a folk setting? Gosh, I hope not cut? because we didn't buy the rights. <laughs> I don't remember that. No, we maybe cut that. That might have that might have like been kicked around uh, and nixed by our lawyers. There, there was a really cool idea where where pop songs had gotten twisted over the years. Oh yeah, they got the lyrics rewritten to be propaganda for the company. Yeah, that shows up in in some of the live shows. Uh, there was a Robin song. Maybe that is the the Britney you were thinking of. Yeah. But but Dr. West totally digs toxic. <laughs> so I will say that if you join the Patreon, the, we have a monthly mixtape that we release for different characters on the Patreon, um, and I love making them. I think they're really fun. Uh, so, like, I did one for Clear Skies Tim that had a lot of, like, uh, what I think of as, like, neo-folk. So it had, like, Nico Case on it and some mountain goats on it and uh, other, like, guitar-forward, like, uh, angsty music. <laughs> um, and then... I recently did one for the time traveler that I was really pleased with that um, has at least two songs that are actually about time travel on them, on it. So, uh, so that's a thing that's out there in the world if you are, are you want to follow this question up like really deeply. But um, that the time traveler mix had this song uh, that the chorus is um, in the future everybody gets a kitten every day. And it just makes me really happy. Because <laughs> I feel like Lindsay the Time Travel deserves a happy ending. She does. Yeah, right? Is Like a Virgin on Clear Skies Tim's <laughs> no. station? No, it's not. Damn it. Now I feel like I... Hold on, I'm actually going to look it up. Chamberlain listens to Screams. <laughs> just Like scream. Screamo or just people screaming? No, just people scream. I, oh, so I, he does make his own music. Yes. I imagine like... In the movie Event Horizon, when they're playing <laughs> playing back the recording of of the the, the crew, the crew log, each other. like that audio is just on a loop in in his headphones. Oh, I made a mix for Veronica, which I was actually listening to on my bike today because it's good for my like pump up mood moment. Um, and it has "You Don't Own Me," uh, "No Scrubs" by TLC. Uh, Cake's song, Short Skirt, Long Jacket, um, Kesha's Woman, and then <clears throat> and then well, Warsaw from Dessa, and a couple of other things. Uh, but yeah, I'm really, that's, that's, that's what I'm proud of. I think Nathan started listening to a bunch of punk bands like right after they sold out. Like the, the best indication that a, a band has sold out is that Nathan Rourke starts listening to them. <laughs> 
because he's the worst. He is the worst. Sorry, fans of Nathan. Yeah, he's, <laughs> are there any? Is that a thing? Nathan, Nathan's, Nathan's parents, maybe? Nathan. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Nathan's really big into dashboard confessional. Yeah. Is he one of those people who feels it necessary to say, but only their later stuff? <laughs> Question. So OFC has been part of all of our lives here for nearly a decade. Uh, and we have a new project. So do you plan on taking some time off to adjust, or are you just planning on jumping into the new production ASAP? Uh, there's some crying with that laughter. Yeah, no. Um, so two funny stories about that. Uh, so we we started work on Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery, about two years before we finished our fair city. That's when pre-production and pre-planning started. Um, so uh, I have been living more heavily in that world um, for about two years now, um, which is very weird. Clayton kind of stepped up and did a lot of the work on leading the company and landing our fair city. Um, and I kind of moved over and then was joined by Eleanor and kind of bringing um, Unwell into life. And um, we've kind of slowly been moving folks over on that. So we have already written all of season one. Um, and we are partway into recording season one, uh, which means that like Jeff and I have already been very, very deeply into the new project. Jim has already been super deeply into the new project, and we are trying really hard to give Ryan a break <laughs> before we pull him in, because uh, he really deserves one. Yeah. Um, I, I will note that uh, kind of in answer to that question, um, the day that we released the final episode, which was July 4th, very fittingly, um, I, I had to work that day. Uh, and so I put the episode up. Yeah, I agree. Put the episode up very early in the morning um, and um, worked uh, at my day job and then was going home and had told myself that I was going to sit down and finish editing the trailer for Unwell that we're um, working on. Um, actually, by the time you're hearing this, it's probably come out. Um, so I was going to finish editing the trailer and going to put that out and start doing the social media and et cetera push. And what actually happened was I came home and that I felt like all of the feelings and I immediately went to sleep. Like I just... <laughs> like fell over. Um, so I So I that forgot, was your break? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to take a break and then my body said, "No, you're turning off right now." And then I did take a break for several days and it was very nice. Um, but we're all really excited to uh, be bringing Unwell into the world. And so um Oh, I was just going to say, in some ways, a change is as good as a rest. Also, if you... Also, a rest is good. Yeah, if you never rest, then you never notice. <laughs> it's called living the dream, because you never get to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, our fair city has been a, a, a monster of a project for, for, uh, for all of us and, and me personally. 
I think I think when I totaled it up, the total amount of time I spent uh, editing was over 1,700 hours uh, into the show. And so, yeah, I was at the conclusion. I and I, and I and I made a post on social media about this. I thought I'd feel relief, but in the end, I really just felt a really deep nostalgia and sense of sadness and satisfaction. And certainly, there there was a, a degree of relief to it. Um, but as as Eleanor pointed out, I I. Um, will be the lead sound designer for uh, for Un Unwell, but I intended to take a very long break, and as such, I didn't I haven't I didn't read the scripts until actually very recently, and now I'm I'm already getting the itch, even though it's only been like t what ten days, whatever, since we really used <laughs> our fair city. But reading the scripts, it's it's really it's going to be an exciting, it's going to be a, a a huge departure from the from the the audio structure of our fair city that's it's going to be a much different experience and a completely different challenge and it's going to be it's going to be great if the if the production is half as good as the writing it's going to be fantastic so and since that's your part i'm feel pretty trusting that's going to work out it's going to be great do do we just all want to go around and talk about what it's like because well, to end the show and to be just have been working on it for so long, because like, I mean, it, it for all of us, it's been years. Like, I was 19 when we started the show. Wow. <laughs> I was a child. <laughs> We're married. Yeah, we are. <laughs> That's still super crazy. So hold on, just to be really on point about this. Is it appropriate to tell our listeners that you are married because of our fair city? I would say yeah, so. We yeah. met through the show. We yeah. met at the season three launch party. Yeah. That's awesome. I knew of him as cute Steven who works at Northwestern for a long time. Awesome. Also the guy who writes the show. But yeah, no, it's because of our fair city that Shipped. we're married. And then yeah. we, re, we kind of, we re-met at a party that Tara Tara's had. birthday party. Oh. And that was when we started actually talking. Mm -hmm. It was her Under the Sea. Under the Sea? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that That's awesome. Cool. Yep. She'll love to hear that. She's going to take credit on it. Uh, uh, <laughs> so it's on. because of our fair city and Tara Sheely. <laughs> so that's how I even know you and Tara's because of it. Yeah, yep. for sure. Not everybody gets a spouse out of our fair city. <laughs> <laughs> but most of us do. <laughs> really? Because how many? Tara and Ryan. Or did, you were together before our first city, is yeah, that we correct? Were together in Florida. All right, look, guys, I don't know the timelines. <laughs> <laughs> I just know there's a lot of romance. You're gonna, you're gonna rewrite an alternate timeline where all of the relationships are because of the show. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think great. we might be the only marriage because of our fair city. I bet I, you deserve that credit. Oh, you're adorable. Thanks. They're doing a really adorable <laughs> thing right now. You can't even see it. It's gross. It's so <laughs> gross. <laughs> Ryan can edit in the vomit sound effects yep. later. And Jim's Paris will be so happy. <laughs> oh, that's another iconic thing that happened. Vomit noises? Vomit noises because I put it in the first script that I ever... Was it the first script I wrote? It was at least yeah, one the of first, them. Yeah, it was in the first script I wrote, and my dad got a kick out of it. So then it happened in the second in the second season. I put it in because my dad liked it the first time, and then I put it in the third season. And then someone pointed out that it kept happening, so I'm like, well, now it's got to be a thing. I'm glad it's a thing. It never got old. 
the worst one was when 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 in the mold in the in the alternate timeline. When I I don't know if this is how you wrote it, but what I envisioned was when Snidge was caught in the meat wall and he literally like vomited himself out of existence <laughs> as he transforms into pure meat wall. As terrible deaths go, it's uh, pretty on on point. Yeah, it was. I'll say, I don't know if we're going around the table again, but uh, I'll say it was, it was very strange for me because I was so heavily involved in the early parts of the show and, uh, you know, building the world and, and helping to shape what you guys made so enormous after that. Uh, and then to step back and only come in as the narrator I only ever saw other people in the sh cast if it was an opening uh, or a, one of the launch parties or they happened to have a recording session before or after me. Like, other than that, it was like me and Jeffrey and Catnip in the studio, and all I got was the narration. So, f for in a lot of ways, I, I kind of feel like Eleanor in that I, I didn't hear the show until y'all heard the show. Uh, and I had no idea who the other people were or what the, the story was shaping into, aside from how Foster saw it. And only in the way that I was allowed to react to it. Like, what is, what is happening before and after um, my specific lines? Uh, unless we did a table read and I got to be there, which sadly I missed a bunch of those. Which meant it was really <laughs> weird. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was super cool for me as, as somebody who, you know, had that transition going from, from knowing everything to knowing almost nothing and getting to experiences as it went along. Um, so yeah, that was just me. It's your turn. Oh, I guess I, I get to go. I thought of another iconic, uh, <laughs> Our Fair City thing, which is, uh, the story of Our Fair City continues which when we do the read the table reads we'd all say at the exact same time and then throw <laughs> our throw scripts, scripts in the, the middle, middle of the yeah. floor um and then at the halfway point everyone would get up and talk and then i'd go and shuffle around and reorganize them so i didn't have to talk to people <laughs> um i don't know it's it's one of those things because i just keep moving that like i don't necessarily have it's it's hard to be like i have feelings about things but again this is this is something that possibly could not have happened like without our fair city i'm not sure i would be i probably wouldn't be writing as much as i do as i have been like i've written multiple audio drama scripts, I wrote a book, I'm working another one, I got a master's in writing, and without Our Fair City, I don't think I would be doing that because I wouldn't have had the opportunity. It would just be me by myself. I wouldn't know, I probably wouldn't know anyone in this room. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd still know some of you because that we work together, but without Our Fair City, we probably wouldn't have hung out because I don't do that. I, um, but like without the opportunity that our fair city gave me to write on a regular basis, to work on this craft, to learn what audio drama is, that it's a thing that you can do, that there are other opportunities 
uh, even here in Chicago to do it, um, I, I wouldn't be who I am right now. So there's that. And I, and I know like there are, uh, Ansel has, has a audio drama show that he puts up and there are other audio drama shows that are put up in here in Chicago that people are involved with. And so, like some of that probably might not exist without what we've done um, without this beginning point. So that's me. I want to talk about mental illness. That sounded like it, uh, uh, Take it away. a one-liner. But um, so uh, I have panic attacks and they, I, I was a, a, a theater major, an actor, and um, did improv for years and stage work. And in my sort of adult life, these panic attacks got worse and more um, focused around stage, which sucks because that's what I loved to do. In fact, when we were doing the Our Fair City Live stuff, um, the first couple shows where I was playing Archibald Funny Pants, I would routinely have panic attacks before or during the show. Um, and to have this project... Um, which allowed me to still be creative and still act and play multiple characters, um, but in like this really safe space among this community of like friend collaborators that I had made was such a safe harbor to me in a period of transition where I was kind of viewing the one thing that I really love to do becoming um, not reasonably obtainable for me anymore. Our Fair City allowed me to continue to act and be creative in a way that didn't freak me out all the time. Um, so in addition to like getting to be part of something bigger than myself and getting to contribute creatively, um, it, was, it was just like this wonderful medicinal thing that I feel very fortunate to have participated in. I wish that during the years I got to work on our first city, I would have been more present and like taken it all in and appreciated it more. Um, now that it's wrapped up, I realize like how special it was. So if any of you listening are part of something, like if you play Dungeons and Dragons every week or something like that, or have a friend group that does something, like really try to relish it while it exists. Because eventually, you know, people grow up, people move away, and things change. Uh, so I feel very fortunate to have been a, a part of Our Fair City. Our Fair City was my first time working in uh, a series. So I got to learn and grow with characters that I was developing with the community. And also learning so much about storytelling from the ways that the, the writing team were building this world as they were going. And uh, I got to piggyback on a lot of what people have been saying, like what Jim was saying about how I'm not sure I would be as invested in the disciplines that I love if it hadn't been through, if I hadn't been inspired so much from the community that I found with Our Fair City and the different ways that the, the artists here have taken those skills and uh, dedicated them to additional tangential projects. Um, and I've met some of my favorite people through this group. So I re I'm really excited to continue working with them in the future. Uh, cautious optimism, as always. And 
I'm always going to be really proud of the the work I see a lot of them doing on their own too. The the people that have moved away are still doing really amazing things, and I'm so excited to see what Heart Life and Unwell turns into, and and everything that the the team has done about uh, capturing the history of the show through the the fan art that they celebrate and spread around online and the the merch with the the fun images and the comic books and the art book it's it's done with so much love and so much reverence for the community they've put together and that means a ton well i feel like that should have been the last question but i kind of want to ask this one about other similar podcasts so uh, Soap Lady uh, asks, if we like R for City and want to try similar podcasts, what would you recommend? I feel like other audio dramas that people are into or uh, things that feel thematically relevant or, you know, what, what, what do you got, folks? I mean, I think, uh, at least for me, uh, Victoriosity is one that kind of walks that line between just like telling a good story but also being comedic and tongue-in-cheek but also having stakes and just really interesting world building uh for those of you who don't know victoriosity it's this cyber not cyber uh steampunk comedy where like london has become london has just like increased in size because they came up with a way to harness lots of energy using a tower (laughs) Um, weird i know it's it's funny but like one of my favorite lines about it is like uh that london expanded as far into the channel until they hit french gunboats (laughs) um but like there's there's a cybernetic Queen Victoria with uh, Prince Albert who has been like just kind of grafted into her oh. and and it, but it's also like a murder mystery and it's it's wacky and fun and in sort of my love of like the comedic side of our fair city it just it hits the, it hits those notes. Uh, one that I got really into that has sadly already ended, uh, but has plenty of material out there if you just need to fill like six months of your commute, <laughs> uh, is Wolf 359. Did anybody else get into that mm-hmm. one? Uh, which is a fabulous um, sci-fi. It starts off as like a romp, and then it gets real serious towards the end. And is uh, I, I just absolutely loved it. Uh, everybody who worked on that did a great job. Uh, Wolf359radio.fm, I think. This is behind, I think, Stitcher Premium's paywall. It used to be behind Earwolf's paywall, but um, there's a comedy audio drama called Uncle Bertie's Botanarium. It's got um, uh, Germaine, Germaine um, from Flight of the Concords. The sound design is wonderful. They have all these like in-universe songs. It's sort of a wacky like um, Edwardian Empire era thing, and um, the music is great. Obviously, the guy from Flight of the Concords is hilarious, um, and it's an audio drama. Um, I really recommend it if you have the cash to pay Stitcher Premium. Is it in the Harry Potter verse? No, it's not in the Harry Potter first. Well, I mean, because Bertie bought an arium, like Bertie bought beans. So no, yes. Is that just purely coincidental? Or? It is Uncle Bertie's botanarium, Bertie bought beans. I don't know. 
It's about a in this in this universe, um, botanists are like revered, and plants are highly regulated. Like people who are not scientists aren't allowed to touch plants, because people have like a weird sensual. Ecstasy about plants in this world, and it's never fully explained. And so Jermaine is like he's a sort of um, lousy botanist,、um, but also a nobleman, and so he treats everybody poorly. And、uh, he is secretly becoming more and more addicted to like the sensual delights <laughs> of touching a plant. <laughs> Sounds delightful. <laughs> I love、um, it. I I want to take a. Quick moment to plug three great shows,、um, and there are so many out there right now. But、um, for specific things,、um, as a like, as a palate cleanser that is totally different, but maybe really restorative after our fair city,、um, the Far Meridian, which is gorgeous and hallucinatory and really well written and acted and just, just beautiful. Um, it's about、um, a a young person who、uh, is in a、uh, a lighthouse that appears in a different location every episode,、um, and about their kind of efforts to go out and explore the world as their lighthouse appears in different places.、Um, if you like the world building. And the kind of the the scope of our fair city, I really recommend a podcast called The Bridge. It is a story about、um, a maybe near future world where there is a massive transatlantic bridge、um, that has subsequently been abandoned, and it's not entirely clear why, but. Probably has something to do with things rising out of the deep, and it's about people on watchtowers and other places and telling stories of the people who now live on this largely abandoned bridge.、Um, and the world building is just fantastic.、Um, the little hints they're giving you of this this world that feels very cohesive and exciting.、Um, And then third, because I think it will kind of, in some ways, bridge into unwell in an interesting way, and just because it's gorgeous, the podcast Mabel, which is、uh, a terrifying set of voicemails that are beautiful and wonderful and romantic and very very scary,、um, I I very much recommend it. Okay, I also have three. Um, so my three are ours、uh, paradoxica, which also just ended, but there's three really incredible seasons you can go back and listen to, which、um, my my elevator pitch would be that it's basically what if the Cold War had time travel,、uh, and it's super fun and is the in in part. The brainchild of Misha Stanton, who has sound designed a couple of our Fair City pieces in the past. If you、uh, listen very closely on a certain episode, you can hear a real Archibald Funny Pants sounding guy. It's pretty great.
the next one is uh, I'm also super into the strange case of the starship Iris, yeah. which is being written by Jessica Best, who is also on our writing team for the new show, Unwell. Um, and I would describe the strange case of starship Iris as what if you rewrote the television show Firefly, but like everyone was queer? Uh, so I'm really into this show. It's right at its early stages, I think. And then lastly, I'm going to recommend Wooden Overcoats, which just, yeah, which just, uh, just finished their third season, which is like the rompiest BBC small town drama. It's about an island off the coast of the UK where it's so small that there's only one of everything until someone comes and opens the second funeral home and the rivaling funeral homes and hilarity ensues. Um, so it's, it's delightful. So those are my three, uh, all of which I enjoy very much. I will piggyback on that because I love how wooden overcoats, like how much of the humor is based in like 100% like earnest character moments. Mm, yes. Like they're... There are really absurd things that happen in the show, but they all make sense because of the crazy, crazy people inhabiting this show. Um, and a lot of the same talent is involved in a show that I am currently very enamored of called The Unseen Hour, which is a horror comedic anthology that is performed live and uh, has kind of a, a, a Night Vale-esque um, setup or structure because they have some story and then they have a guest monologue uh, writer performer at their show and then they have more story and then they have a guest musical group and then they have the the finale of the story and they riff on so many great properties i just listened to their shining it's not not the shining episode and they've done so many things that they very obviously love the vocabulary of horror and that means that they are doing everything they're killing it with kindness and it's just a real charming show to get involved in so i would check that out too so that should be enough content to keep you busy until February when Unwell comes out, and then you can spend all your time listening to that. Uh, <laughs> so thanks, everybody, who could be here tonight to answer all these listener questions. I will say we had a really great question about um, putting characters from the show into D&D alignments and classes, and Jim brought so many notes on this that we decided that it needed to be a written piece, not a uh, spoken piece, because it's getting late and we're all tired and we need to go home. Um, so I promise we're going to answer that question in a different media. Uh, but thank you all so much. This has been Listener Questions. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. See you in the tunnels. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Solved by Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. 
God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr at 224BBaker or on our website 224BBaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. What's the other 10%? Luck.